Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Aranex podcast. My name's Craig Eason. I'm a journalist and I run and edit the Fathom World website. Crew welfare has become a key topic in shipping this year, with the COVID pandemic creating restrictions on crews getting on and off their ships, particularly crews on ships getting home after their voyages have completed. There are stories of some crews being on ships for more than a year and a half, perhaps longer. It's leading to crew welfare issues as crews are getting tired, exhausted, depressed and even suicidal. But there's also the bigger issue here of crew welfare and the ability of the industry to attract young people from around the world to take a career at sea. And I see those two problems becoming entwined. In a minute, we hear about one woman who stepped into this male-dominated environment to find out what she has learned from her first trip as a junior engineer up to today. I understand that they probably didn't mean to have this many odd characters <laughs> aboard, but the captain was selling pornography to the crew, the chief engineer was very sexist. And, and we also hear from Gina Paniotu. She's a maritime lawyer who's been working on issues relating to sexism and bullying and looking at the social impacts around the shipping industry. She's also the founder of the It's All About Shipping website, which aims to promote the industry to younger people. If the actual female seafarers that are on board are mistreated, or if anybody is mistreated on board, then that's not really going to be convincing in getting people on board because we, we don't have the experience they do. They actually are there for several months. But first, I mentioned the shipping has got a problem with getting crews home and getting fresh crews onto ships. It's become such a problem that some of the authorities have allowed ships to continue sailing well past, up to three months past, some of their certificates to say that they are safe should have been due. It's become such a problem that the International Transport Workers Federation has now pushed for ship owners to take more responsibility towards crews. Namely, they're saying that the COVID pandemic is turning into an opportunity for them to exploit ships' crews. And they want a number of issues to be resolved. One of them relates around the use of crews to undertake remote surveys. It's been promoted by a number of authorities and the class societies as something that can help solve the problem of certification. The author of the ITF report, Odd Rune Maltarud, is in Norway. He's an ex-engineer and a former surveyor. He showed me how a recent detention of a vessel in Norway would not have been picked up if the crew had been allowed to do the survey themselves. If you see the report I sent you, that's a typical example uh, what we don't want to have it in the future, that the captain should uh, inspect himself. If you, if you can say it very easy, you will never have this finding. Uh, and this example is, is um, not so old. I think it's two weeks ago in Norway. And they do a, a, a physical inspection on this ship. And, and get all the finding. And here you can see the safety equipment. They have no certificate. Uh, uh, and also the, the crew is not paid, but that's another story. But, but you will never uh, uh, find 
have this sort of finding if you say, Captain, can you please inspect your own ship for this and this issue? But the surveys do have value, say the class societies, because they are allowing a number of ships to continue sailing and thus keep world trade flowing. I recently spoke to Knut Orbeck-Nielsen, he's head of um, Maritime at DNVGL, to ask him his thoughts on the ITF report and particularly about the issue of remote surveys. Well, yes, it's a, it's a good question and it's an interesting report uh, produced. Um, I think we have to keep in mind a little bit the, the bigger picture. So, um, after all, these uh, inspections are really vital to preserve and maintain uh, a ship's uh, safe journey. And after all, uh, you know, uh, safety at sea is the primary uh, concern of both the seafarers and uh, the class societies in question. So I think the um, the remote surveys uh, have uh, helped and, and facilitated just that. Uh, having said that, uh, also when we are, say, doing more traditional uh, fiscal surveys, we usually also engage with the crew. Uh, in order to show us around, open up compartments uh, and guide us uh, through the various parts of the vessel. So, in general, I would say that the extra burden caused by having to carry a smartphone uh, around rather than guiding the surveyor is maybe uh, quite a limited uh, additional burden to the uh, tremendous strain they are going through at the moment and and keeping in mind that safety is the primary uh, concern for both the seafarers uh, and and the owners and the class societies in this situation i think it's um, it it makes a lot of sense to to carry on uh, doing remote surveys that was knut orbeck nielsen from dnvgl on his thoughts about remote surveys on shipping during the covid pandemic restrictions his thoughts are not entirely agreed by Odd Rune Maltrud from the ITF. What we are talking about here is the manning situation. Most of the ships, they have only minimum safe manning on board. And the task of the safe manning is to watch keeping, not to do the inspection. Uh, and uh, on top of that, if you do the inspection, and I don't like the sentence to say, it's not a burden to have a mobile phone on your pocket. That That's uh, bullshit, if I could say. Uh, uh, it's mu- much more than that. I'm uh, a chief engineer by myself. I have also worked as a port state controller for the authority in Norway, so I know the system. Uh, it's much more than that. Um, if you do an inspection, of course not all of them, but, but more bigger inspection to directly go on the safety equipment, uh, uh, for example, and also the technical. If you do that, and we do, we have done this for many years, it's not a problem. But if you do, you, you not only take picture, you have to measure out, you have to make a report, and you have to sign the report, and if you don't do, uh, if something, let me say, if something happened after an accident um, because of uh, this uh, 
equipment uh, was not um, uh, survived uh, correctly because of they had not the right competence, for example, uh, to do it. And if something happened, it's not the recognized organization or the authority who, who, who get uh, jailed. It's the chief engineer or the captain who is jailed. He says that has, this has been an issue that's been talked about before the COVID pandemic started, when the class societies and authorities started to promote remote surveys as an expedient tool. Now, we heard that um, Odruna says that, that that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but he says there has to be accountability and a full understanding of the regulations relating to taking remote surveys. And the most important here is there are no regulation who tell the uh, re- recognised organisation, the authority or the crew who they shall deal with it. The responsibility is not uh, stay in the, in the regulation clear or not. And that is our concern here. So it's not only about the technical inspection, it's about the safety and security for the crew on board. And that is the authority uh, responsibility. In a few seconds, we'll hear from Angela Bueno. She's an engineer in the US who has decided to take her career at sea. We're going to hear about her experiences going through college and into the industry. But before that, this. Hi, I'm Anna Burgos from Cyprus, and you can read all about why I think the Cyprus Maritime Cluster is unique on the Fathom World website. Now, one of the things I'm going to talk about is about getting young women to go to sea or to start a career in the industry. I myself have got two very young daughters. How would I go about trying to get them to be interested in the industry? I recently talked to Angela Bueno. She's a chief engineer in the US, working on the US coast. And I asked her about her career so far because it's not always been pleasant. But first of all, when I did talk to her, I was actually interested in what made her want to start a career in the Merchant Navy. My family is not a maritime family. Um, My father did work at a shipyard uh, as I was growing up in San Diego, California. And so he had an he was a machinist there and um, they would invite the families every time they finished a new ship and they had the ship launching, they would invite families to come participate and take a tour, see what the vessels were like and celebrate the, the finishing of the vessel. And so I, as a child, I was partaking in many of those events, uh, seeing what it's like to be there and not really knowing that I would be interested in it later on. Uh, so anyway, he um, was exposing me further to the industry by bringing me around to lunches or if he saw a female uh, chief mate, for example, on board one of the vessels that he happened to be working on, he would ask if it would be okay to bring me to introduce them to me. Um, just again, getting me acquainted with the industry. So I think as, as a looking back on it now, he had a, he had an idea that this is something that he thought I should be doing. 
Uh, and getting parents to mentally be on board with their daughters to going into a career that's male-dominated is, is important because they're the ones planting the seed that, hey, you can do this. Sure, it's not normal. It's not the, it's not the norm, but uh, if you want to, you can make a good, successful career at this. You can make great money. You can have great vacation time. You can have these great benefits, travel the world for free, and that's something that uh, has to come someone has to plant that seed I think and the um, schools high schools they don't have even for, for for male and female no one really hears about these careers unless their parents or their uncles or somebody in their family has already partaken in in the industry so a father played a key role and after that Angela went to Massachusetts Maritime Academy between about 2004 and 2007. There it was 10% female. And the cultural aspects were, she says, well, let's just say diversity was lean, is the word that she uses. Um, And on board, she says, actually, everybody was treated equally. There were accommodation on board the training vessels for women. um, And everybody was too focused on getting their grades to actually worry about anything else but then came her first experience as a junior engineer away from college away from the security of her peers etc i asked angela how her first experience was when she stepped on board a vessel for the first time as a junior engineer my, my initial experience was with a very good chief uh, he was a good leader he told me if anything happened i could come to him And uh, unfortunately he left, so he didn't see eye to eye with the company and he left, it didn't take very long. And so the next chief that I got was actually, um, he was a bit sexist. Uh, He came from a different country where the cultural norm, I guess was to speak ill or just speak poorly of women. Uh, He would say weird things about his wife. It was just a, a really, strange time because I felt like the challenges that I would be facing would be career challenges not interpersonal challenges but the captain was selling pornography to the crew the chief engineer was very sexist and the attitude of the chief was that don't worry Angela can handle it she's cool so I think that that's a common misconception um, that Were you the only woman if, on board the ship at the time? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, that was the only woman. So there was it was a small crew too. This this was a small vessel at the time. This was uh, probably seven seven people on this crew, and so that was uh, the only female being the only female being very fresh out of college and not knowing what I was supposed to be dealing with, not knowing what to expect I just took it for what it was and tried to do my best with the work and trying to gain the experience necessary to do my job properly did you feel that you didn't necessarily have the tools the capabilities or the understanding of how to deal with that because perhaps the infrastructure wasn't there around you to give you the support that you might have needed Right. So I felt, I, I felt I, I owed a, um, let me say, like a, um, 
the, I felt the owner of the company obviously did not know this was going on. Um, I felt that reaching out to him about this would cause problems uh, for him, for the dynamics of the vessel, that he's trying to get this vessel going and he, he needs a crew. <laughs> so to, to, to bring something like this up would, would be to disintegrate the progress that he's made. And I just didn't know how it would be handled um, as far as the trajectory of my career. You thought that being, a, being seen as a troublemaker would hinder your progression in the industry? Yes. Well, I wasn't sure. And being that new, you don't want to start off on the wrong foot, so to speak. So um, I was very apprehensive to speak out. And I think that, you know, it, it's important that we speak out, obviously, not only for ourselves, but for the women that come after us. Um, but at that moment, being a very young, uh, not having that, that confidence and being a little bit um, just intimidated by the whole situation, I thought it'd be best to just handle what I could. And if I couldn't handle it, I could leave remove myself from the situation. As your career progressed, I imagine that this wasn't the only incident um, that you probably encountered. When do you think you started to feel the confidence and have the courage to actually start talking against that kind of behavior? Right. So I think just having dealt with that situation and having been through it, um, the next, the next job that I worked, we had a really good crew. I did not have any issues, but I felt, see, the, the leadership is where it lies. So the, the next vessel that I worked on, the leadership was very open about being supportive. And so I think that that is really what it takes is having your captain or having your chief or somebody to tell you straight away that they have your back and that you're going to be supported. If something happens, let me know. And so I think that combined with your confidence, your confidence gets built over time as you gain experience and see what is the norm, what should be tolerated, what is unacceptable. And so I think over time, yes, my next job, I, I felt um, I didn't have any issues there, um, but I did feel that over time, the next couple of captains that I had would be more, I guess as, as soon as you come aboard, there's always this, this question, you know, is, is this woman a troublemaker? There's not very many women in the industry. So I have been, it's been admitted to me by coworkers later after we worked together for, for a couple of years that we didn't know what to expect. When we heard you were coming, we were scared. We were apprehensive we didn't know if we could be ourselves around you we didn't know if we could tell jokes around you um so it's it's a it's a strange dynamic for everyone i suppose but being the only female aboard it, it definitely does take some time to um confront any sort of uh pushback or any sort of uh down talking or degrading 
you know, speaking towards you. Um, the way that I deal with that up until now, now, now that I'm older, more experienced, is that you have to just confront people straight on and tell them this is not going to be tolerated. I, I know a, a lot of captains would be, would handle it. Um, some captains would prefer that the crew handle it amongst themselves and that it not be an issue that gets brought to him. Um, but I think over time, yeah, when I, when I left there after going through that, I did build a confidence just knowing that I, I should not have dealt with that. I should have said something. And so moving forward, I felt empowered to speak up for myself. Definitely. I want to touch on what you said a minute ago about that expectation amongst the men that having a woman come on board was going to be problematic, that you were seen as a troublemaker, that they're putting the blame on you if there is an issue. It's hard to get around that. There, because now that you see there, there are still very few women in the industry, but there is this, I guess they've had experiences where there has been a woman on board that did not get along or did not see eye to eye with what they thought was normal. And yeah, it is seen as a problem. It's seen as someone is getting in trouble, whether it's getting called to the captain's office about something you said or um, a joke or a calendar that's hanging or something like that. You know, it's, um, Yes, it is seen as trouble. And I've heard a lot of reports from coworkers saying that, you know, they feel like there are women who are just very, very hypersensitive and will report any little thing, which I, I don't know where, where you draw the line there because, as you know, you've worked aboard a vessel. There's, there, there is some joking around, some things that would maybe not be tolerated in an office environment that aboard a vessel things get said, it's a little bit rougher around the edges and it's, it's very difficult for, for both parties to know where the lines need to be drawn uh, when it comes to that. But yeah, so it's unfortunate that before you arrive to a vessel, people are scared or, hesitant or think of you as maybe being a problem for them and their well-being, their jobs, you know, their careers. So it's, I hope that uh, in the future we can try to make that less, less of an issue and have, have men think of us as being an asset and not a threat. We're going out there saying we need more seafarers and we need more female seafarers and it should be diverse and it should be inclusive. And uh, end of the day, the seafarers that are already on board are the greatest ambassadors of this, uh, of trying to get people on board. Because I can sit here saying, no, you should go to sea. And the IMO can sit there saying, people should, we should be having more female seafarers on board. But if the actual female seafarers that are on board are mistreated, or if anybody is mistreated on board, then that's not really going to be convincing in getting people on board because we, we don't have the experience. They do. They actually are there for several months. And if that example you gave and that uh, female cadet went around saying, oh my God, it's terrible, 
it's a wider circle and then it gets an even wider circle that they then create this perception that oh my god going on board for a female cadet is terrible that's the voice of gina panayotto maritime lawyer and the founder of it's all about shipping and also a member of WISTA, the Women's International Shipping and Trading Association, talking to me about the impact of behaviour on ships and how that actually goes further outside of the industry. I'll talk to her again in a minute, but first I wanted to continue the interview with Angela Bueno about her experiences and thoughts about her career at sea. Do you see much change over the length of your career? So uh, since 2007 till now, um, my personal experience has improved vastly. And I... Do you think that is because of your increased rank on board the vessel as much as anything? No, I actually attribute that to the captains that I've worked under since then and the chief engineers that I worked under uh, since then because I, I feel strongly that the leadership on board the vessel is what really sets the tone for how the employees that work aboard your shipmates will treat you or how they view their female colleagues that are coming aboard. Uh, so I think that the leadership sets the tone for what they will tolerate, what they will not tolerate. Um, and also ship manage ship management also, because if say, if the captain is the problem, then if you have an employee reporting a captain, if, if your ship management is not going to do anything about it because they value the captain and the captain's word is usually law, um, you know, how, how will someone uh, be able to report anything that way? But, but for, from my experience personally, I've had um, really good captains and chiefs since, since all of that. And I feel like it's gotten better from my perspective. Do you see the attitude of men generally um, improving and the use of social media? Okay, it can draw out the trolls and it can draw out um, the worst in people once they can actually hide themselves a little bit. But do you think that there is a general change amongst men I guess is what I'm asking, um, that will help with this progress. Perhaps the younger men are being brought up in a different time where there are more women in these leadership positions and they see the presence online, more women being shown as, as in leadership positions at sea. Uh, as far as the older generations, uh, I think it just depends on, like you say, their background, how, how they were brought up, what their role models say. What, what dad and, and grandfather and uncle say about women at sea. And so there are some of those that are still saying, uh, just maybe a few weeks ago, uh, there was a woman who posted something and, and I commented and there was a man that commented said, women don't belong at sea, period. Get an all female vessel if you want to have females at sea. And so he's retired, thankfully, I found out. <laughs> But um, but I think there is such an apprehension by some people the the threat of losing your job because you know a female didn't like what you had to say uh, that fear is I think what's keeping some people some men uh, thinking that way 
There are some attitudes that are changing out there, but I do realize that there are some old preset attitudes that still exist in the industry. Angela Bueno, chief engineer in the US, talking to me about her experiences throughout her career and the positives and the negatives. And it's encouraging to hear that as her career has progressed, there's been a lot more positives than negatives. Gina Paniatu, now, who we heard from earlier, is a maritime lawyer. She's founder of It's All About Shipping and a member of WISTA. I wanted to talk to her about how she thinks the issues of diversity can actually be addressed and where she thinks the responsibility lies in making sure that there is the foundation for young people coming into the industry to pursue a positive and fruitful career in the Merchant Navy. I really do believe that it's the company's ultimate responsibility to make sure because of course, we've got regulations like the MLC and the recent amendments, which include and are more comprehensive on what is harassment and bullying and um, taking into consideration sexual harassment, especially for female seafarers. But the thing is, there should be a proper plan and set of guidelines within the company for a designated person to be dealing with the situations to have a support network for the seafarers. It should be in the policy. The seafarers should be receiving training from the first day at no matter what rank they are on how they should be acting on board, what could be considered harassment, who they could be talking to, that they can do that anonymously or they can do that without feeling that it will have some uh, impact on their careers or going forward. We do have a PR and image or a crisis always because we're not putting out there the work that this industry is doing. But having said that and talking about these people who are on board and um, behind closed, what they're experiencing behind closed doors and what they're bringing out to uh, the media, it's not just on social media. So social media is a huge tool at the moment and it gives power, a voice and power to anybody to share um, a story and you will see this uh, you will most likely actually see more um, uh, bad experiences being shared because that's where the anger comes in or um, I was treated this way so I had to react in this way or this is unacceptable but it goes beyond that because these people uh, are supposed to be the ambassadors of this profession and if we're trying to get as an industry, more females on board or more diverse crews or more cultures um, going out as seafarers, um, we, we need to have these people on our side. We need to have these people actually feeling comfortable to express their feelings, whether it's a concern or a complaint or something they just want to discuss. It might not even, that's why I'm, I said at the beginning, we're more of a reactive rather than a proactive industry. So I believe we should be going a step backwards and all companies should be addressing this matter as a matter of, it's not just when an incident of, of harassment or bullying or sexual discrimination happens. Um, it's like you're, you're bringing them on board a community and a society when you're employing these people to work for your company. That was Gina Paniatu from It's All About Shipping talking to me about how we encourage youngsters leaving school to take a career in the Merchant Navy and in particular how we encourage young women to pursue careers in the industry. And now it's time to hear from Nick Chubb, the founder of PTS, who gives a regular update on the technology and startups and funding in 
the maritime and shipping space. Thanks, Craig. September has been a busy month for grant funding awards. In the last 30 days, we've recorded $35.7 million of grant funding in our innovation intelligence platform. Leading the pack is the Nippon Foundation, who, after announcing their intention to fund autonomous and unmanned vessel projects earlier this year, has now committed just over $32 million to a consortium of 40 Japanese maritime businesses to carry out five proof-of-concept tests on autonomous and unmanned vessels through the next year. The Nippon Foundation aims to have 50% of Japanese domestic shipping operating without crew by 2040. Innovation Norway has awarded Kongsberg Digital just under $2 million for the development of a new cloud-based simulation suite. The suite will enable advanced operational research and education across the maritime industry. The program is aimed at helping the industry to better understand and prepare for the impact of emerging advanced technologies on vessel operations. In the UK, the Hydrographic Office is making $224,000 available to innovators who want to use admiralty data sets to support the growth of the blue economy. Their first grant is aimed at companies who can unlock autonomous navigation. Over in the USA, government body NOAA has awarded Ocean Aero a $1 million grant to use their autonomous surface vessel to collect remote water samples to monitor harmful algae blooms in the deep ocean. And lastly, Yara Marine has launched a new startup accelerator program called Yara X. They're offering an initial 100,000 grant plus a range of additional support measures to a startup that is building high-performance ocean sustainability technology. Eclipsing all of the grant funding combined, however, was this month's award by the US Navy of $42 million in contracts to six defense manufacturers to build large autonomous surface ships. This is all part of the world's largest military navy's plan to develop low-cost, high-endurance, unmanned vehicles that complement their manned surface combatants. Nick Chubb from Thetius updating on the technology and startup news within the maritime and shipping space. That's it for this episode of the Aronex podcast. You can go to Spotify, Apple Podcast and Acast and even the Fathom World website to subscribe to the podcast to get a regular update and hear what's transforming within the industry and of course you can go to the fathom.world website to subscribe to our regular newsletter to keep ahead of the changes within this industry within the maritime shipping and ocean space that's it for this week until the next time thank you